This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. If I had sad trombone, I'd say, hello, hello, sad trombone. So I just want to lead off with that. Sad trombone? (laughs) Is there anything more sad than a trombone? Another instrument? Probably not, but that's the the typical thing. So Tony and I haven't been... Tony and I may able to get together for we, we the, the opening says every week, but it's been two months. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's within the margin of error. Yeah, yeah margin, margin of error. I'm glad you brought that up. So, um, since we have not talked in a while, uh, a few things have happened. Um, Tuesday night happened. I thought we'd start with that, unless there's something you wanted to start with. No, I think we should start with Tuesday night, and then I also think we should talk about. Uh, Donald Trump and his yes. current behavior. I think that all ties together. So, um, it, and, and I want to I want to start at the top. I I don't like surveys. I don't like polls. I think they're bad. And I, I think the fact that uh, you mean you think they're unreliable. I think they've always been unreliable. They will always be unreliable. I think they're created by human beings who have a bias and. They get what they want from that. So I, I take this this thought process from um, statistical research that I've done throughout my career. If you craft the message the way you want, you can get almost any statistical analysis to show you what you want it to show you. And I feel like the surveys are the same thing. And the fact that you're still phone phoning people, even if it's on their cell phone, is ridiculous to me. And it's it's a guesstimate at best. I was not confident on Monday that any polls that I saw were accurate. I wasn't confident in 2016. I wasn't confident in 2020. I've never been confident with any poll that was going to give me an accurate, accurate representation of what's going on. I think people lie on polls, period. They either tell you what they think you want to hear, so they'll keep calling them, if you have problems and symptoms. I don't know what it is, but I think they're all whacked. So I was not going into Monday, Tuesday thinking, oh, yes, there's going to be a red tsunami. I, I was laughing when I heard people say that. I'm like, what gives you that indication? Now, historical, historical relevance would say that's what you should expect when the, the economy's in the crapper. Uh, you've got a daughter and old fool at the top and, and everything else going on. The party in power usually gets wiped out in midterm elections. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. We don't even know right now what the House looks like. We don't know what the Senate looks like yet. And what a travesty is that? We'll Well, talk about that as well. That's a third world issue there. So I guess my question is, what did the Republicans, what did the RNC, what did Kevin McCarthy and everybody involved here, what did they do wrong, They, them specifically, not anybody else, and we'll talk about other people, what did they do wrong that the message they got out didn't resonate. Perfect example. John Fetterman is the next senator from Pennsylvania. John Fetterman couldn't put together a sentence to, to save his life. And if he did, it would make no sense anyway because it would just be words jumbled together. That guy is going to be a senator. It, it, it boggles the mind. Now, I will contend Mehmet Oz was not my choice for the Republican nomination for Senate. But he's at least competent. Whether you like his politics, he's at least can 
string together words and make sentences. John Fetterman cannot forget all his politics, even as a side. How does that happen? How? Well, I think this is a nuanced and sort of multi-layered issue. But I think the first thing we have to recognize is that we may be asking the wrong questions now. Okay. Meaning the historic way that voting has been done in this country really no longer exists. And what I mean by that is we're in a universe where people are now voting months, weeks and months before an election. And we're also having some substantial percentage of the votes cast by mass mailed ballots. Mm -hmm. And there are several components to that issue so let me dispense with the first one. I'm not going to go down the road tonight of saying, oh, there was fraud and that's why the Republicans lost. No. But what I will point out is that anyone prior to, let's say, 2016 who had ever examined the use of mass mail balloting in the context of an election, and these are Democrats and Republicans and including people from other countries – uh, which, by the way, there is no other developed country in the world. Let me repeat this. There is no other developed country in the world who conducts voting the way we do in America. And I don't mean that as a compliment. No one else permits mass mail balloting uh, in any election. And in fact, most of the European countries that the progressives in our country love to tout as enlightened, uh, for instance, take France. France uses paper ballots. They somehow managed to do the entire country in one day. If you go to Italy and you want to vote, you have to show up at the polls with your ID. Mm, crazy, and verified. Huh? Crazy. So, so just the way that we conduct our elections is laughable. Mm -hmm. But as I was saying, previous to when the received wisdom changed, everyone recognized that mass mail balloting is an invitation for fraud. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Well, it's very obvious because if you're just sending out a blizzard of ballots to names on a voter roll that has not been maintained. So for instance, there's dead people. There's people who have moved and haven't lived at that address for years. And then of course, there's other people that can gather up these ballots and legally harvest them. <laughs> Which means you're taking bunches of ballots and assisting, assisting people mm -hmm. to fill them out. And then you're sending them in. The entire system is an invitation to fraud. And anyone who champions that, in my view, there is a rebuttable presumption that they want to guarantee and maximize fraud. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's a broken system. But let's talk about the non-fraud reality. The Democratic Party because they are, since Tammany Hall, the best <laughs> at machine politics, Yeah, figured out that we no longer worry about votes, meaning in-person votes. We worry about accumulating ballots, and they are way, way better at it than the Republican Party. And they know that their demographic and particularly their Generation Z voters mm -hmm. who ordinarily will not get off their butt and show up at a poll, they can be convinced to send in a ballot. Sure. That takes minimal effort. So you have the invitation to fraud component, but you also have the far more um, 
efficient, streamlined, ruthless use of this system uh, to their benefit by the Democratic Party, and the Republicans are nowhere close. Now, I would argue that if you want to have secure elections, you cannot conduct them in this fashion. But as long as we are, and it appears that this is going to continue, the Republicans better figure out how to play this game. And if we don't, this is the inevitable result of every election. Now, <clears throat> I was confidently told that democracy was on the ballot this year, but only if the Republicans won. So if the Democrats right. win, democracy is not on the ballot. But what you seem to be saying is it is on the ballot and they want to control it. So it's not really democracy any longer. It's we get what we want from these people. Is that what you're saying? That it, as long as the Democrats get their way of how to of course. run the it. Only, the only electoral, now, which is also hilarious, because what was the main, in fact, this is now, I hear this all the time, this is now one of the trademark uh, terms that the media has inserted into the public consciousness. So I was watching, flipping through a couple different channels for election results, and every single commentator, other than, of course, on Fox, made a point of calling every Republican candidate an election denier. That's their <laughs> official title. Yes. I mean, that's how they're described. Yes. This individual who is an election denier. Now, by the way, Stacey Abrams does not get that label. Hillary Clinton doesn't get that label. Joe Biden doesn't get that label. Al Gore doesn't get that label. No, that label only applies to people who apparently are not allowed to raise questions about the integrity of elections. So as usual, the double standard is infinite. Yes. But, but the point here is that when you are dealing with – you mentioned Fetterman. Mm -hmm. okay? Now, people that don't live in Pennsylvania, um, they maybe heard of him. John Fetterman is not only clearly impaired from his stroke, but he is a radical yes. – and I'm talking radical leftist who wants to let felons out of prison. Uh, he's about as far left as you can get. And, of course, he's campaigning uh, in Pennsylvania, which has the Philadelphia machine – the smaller Pittsburgh machine, and then it's all red in the middle. But, Chad, here's the other thing that I don't think people like you and I, who are conservatives, recognize. If you would go on the street and ask just somebody who's only moderately involved in politics whether they were aware of John Fetterman's stroke or cognitive issues or his almost – it, it, you had to avert your eyes during his debate with Oz yeah. to watch this poor man. Mm -hmm. I would wager that 90% of those people have absolutely no idea. And why? Because where would you ever find that out if you're somebody who reads the New York Times or watches CNN? You will never see a clip of John Fetterman or Joe Biden or any other Democrat beclowning themselves because the media's job is to prevent the public from knowing about any of that information. So I think we sometimes make the mistake of looking around and saying, how could you possibly vote for this guy? Yeah. Well, we're not looking at the same guy. <clears throat> well, I, I would say that the mail-in portion of the votes in Pennsylvania, so 70% of registered Democrats mailed in their ballots. Okay. 20% of Republicans mailed in ballots. I'm guessing that some of those 70% probably happened before the debate. So if you're right, they sure. they, had, they saw nothing until the debate. I had I saw exit people after the debate, and people said it was sad to see. He doesn't seem like he's with it, but I'm still voting for him because he's a Democrat. You heard the the media after the 
saying it was brave of him to stand up there and know that he was going to be faltering, but he still did it. He's brave for taking on uh, Dr. Oz, who was beating him up for having a stroke. And I'm like, but his team knew he was deficient. Everybody around him knew he was deficient. If you watched any clips, if you went to any rally, he was deficient. He, he could not stand at a podium and make any coherent sense about anything. He opens the debate with, good night, everyone. That, it, he says, thank you, good night. Thank you, good night. That, that's amazing. Did you see his response when he was confronted with his prior uh, explicit denunciation of fracking? He's against yes. fracking. And it was... First, he, he was sort of in a fugue state for about 10 seconds, didn't even speak. Yes. And then he sputtered out some, inco- I, I am support fracking, I always, I support fracking. It was like watching Lurch. Yes. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. No, it didn't matter. And it, he was asked, asked about the Dobbs decision. He says, I've always been against, I've always supported the Dobbs decision. I've always supported, I'm like, that's not what you said in April when you, before you had your stroke. I think there's a couple key things from from my perspective, and I've listened to Ben Shapiro today, and he thinks quality of candidates matters, and I would agree. I, I think you can't just throw out any. No, I disagree with that. Well, and here's what here's the difference. It only matters if you're it Republican. Only for Republican, correct. That's the that's the caveat. If you're a Democrat, even don't have to have a pulse because a, a, a U.S. The Democrats or, could nominate a headless trans chicken. And as long as they were convinced that it could use its uh, feet to tap out whatever policy selection they wanted, that headless chicken would be in Congress. Well, now, look, hold on. There's you, always been. There was a state senator in Pennsylvania who died yes, a month ago deceased. and he won against the live candidate. Well, yeah, because again, what does that really matter? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Now, look, there's always been straight ticket lockstep voting on both sides. Okay? Yes. There's, yes. There's, that's existed yes. from time immemorial. But I think generally what the difference is, I don't believe either you or I or many of the people that I know who are conservatives would be willing to vote for someone like John Fetterman nope. in his condition, even if I believed that he was going to zombie-like mm-hmm. vote for policies that I favor. But that is not generally true of the Democratic Party right now. Correct. The only thing that they care about is, and of course, I'd love to have a debate with our friend Dr. Fia about this because most <laughs> of what he writes about is this notion that the Trump voters, and this is this is a media narrative, all the Trump voters are these uh, mouth-breathing lemmings who just are in this cult of personality. But the reality is it's, it's now there are certain Trump voters, and we're going to talk about this, mm-hmm. who are at that stage. Sure. But Largely, conservatives are not willing to look at a candidate who is clearly incoherent, mentally impaired, or in any other way not fit for office and say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and vote for that guy anyway. At least not, not many of the conservatives that I know. So that was, that was Shapiro's take, and I agree. As long as you're a Democrat, you don't literally even have to have a pulse to be voted into office. And if you're Republican, you have to have a better message. You have to be a better candidate. Because we saw with DeSantis, we saw with um, uh, Greg Abbott, you know, if you if your policies are good and you support the people, you have a better chance of winning an election. When you're marginal or you're backed by Donald Trump, it seems to 
backfire on the down ticket lakes. So I'm looking at Kari Lake in Arizona. I don't think they still called who the Arizona governor is because 20% of the the machines in Maricopa County, the most populous county in Arizona, didn't work. Now, you, you talked about it on the outset. How is it, it's 2022, and Brazil can count their votes for the entire country in a day, and we're being told the people in Arizona may have to work through Christmas to count all the votes. Are you serious? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not only insane. You have to conclude in some ways that there's intentionality to this. has to be. And again, I'm not talking about some sort of conspiracy here, but in other words, there are people that are not, who don't care and who find it um, more, more favorable to just allow this condition to persist. Because the longer that the counting goes, this is just like the mass mail balloting, right? right. It simply opens up more avenues for shenanigans. If you have to show up at the polls, show an ID, and your vote is counted the same day and recorded, that system really doesn't present very many opportunities to mess with it. On the other hand, a system that is ballots going out willy-nilly to who knows where, and people can vote not only for months before an election, but we're going to count for days afterward, any fair-minded person would look at that system and say, that is not how elections should be conducted. No. That system is open to manipulation. That system incentivizes cheating. And why would anyone want to conduct an election like that? And the people that say that they do want to conduct the election, I'm going to presume that those people do not want honest elections. I would I would agree with you 100%. And I think that's where we're, we're struggling because I, while I think the message has to be clear, and I think the Republicans... Uh, okay, not great. The Democrats said we, we thought by by anchoring every Democratic candidate with a they vote for Joe Biden hundred percent of the time would somehow sink them, and it didn't. So people aren't like the typical thing is you vote with your pocketbook. Well, your pocketbook is much smaller than it was two years ago, and yet you didn't vote with your pocketbook. Why? I mean, what what made people say, "I'll go down, I'll go straight ticket for the people in power who have caused this"? Seventy five percent of people think the country's going in the wrong direction and don't trust Joe Biden to lead us out of it, and yet you voted for people who, hundred percent of the time, vote with him. What what did what went wrong? How is that possible? I don't care. Don't not but a specific candidate. We know how it's possible because. Even though it's incredibly counterintuitive, we've talked about this many times. Look at the African-American vote Yeah. in terms of the cities that have been controlled by Democrats for five decades. Mm-hmm. And so this phenomenon has existed for years in that context, right? Sure. You have people that have been governed exclusively by the, by the folks who know where the moral arc of history is bending, and they have lived in squalor and increasing crime and immiseration and economic deprivation, and it has existed for generations, and yet they still vote for the same people. Now, what explains that? Well, there has to be either some kind of social pathology or there has to be a strategy to tell these people, and we see this all the time, that you have to blame the white oppressor and 
if you don't vote for us, you're going to be put back in chains, as the big guy famously told them. So that pattern of cognitive dissonance where you can't seem to recognize that the people that have caused your circumstances should be removed from power, that's always existed. I think the problem now is that it's spreading beyond these pockets of individuals who are willing to do that. But the other thing you have to remember is, if, if I asked you, what is the democratic constituency? In other words, if you had to identify the groups that the Democrats apparently represent and who vote for them, what would you say? What are those groups now? Uh, unions, uh, LGBTQ, that community, um, Hispanics, and black and highly educated whites. Correct. Oh, and by the way, when you say unions, what you really need are union leadership. Correct. Because increasingly members of unions are flooding away from the Democratic Party because right. those individuals tend to be middle class, blue collar, and the Democrats have completely abandoned those people. They don't care. Well, but the, the white is, the white union members, I would agree with you. I right. wouldn't say the the minorities. So, but you're right. The 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 shift is the suburban mm -hmm. white overeducated um, sort of Ivy League higher education class and largely women. Mm -hmm. So that and those they are spurred on by what issues? Well, abortion, unrestricted abortion, the holy sacrament for the Democratic Party. <laughs> Um, but they're also influenced by the green cargo cult yeah, and and this message, this constant fear-mongering message of if the Republicans take control, democracy is over, Yeah, right? That, that's what somehow resonates with them. And then you add in the Donald Trump uh, contagion in terms of his personality, and this is, this is what happens. So let's talk about Donald Trump. Um, he looms large on this whole thing. Um, he's going around telling people 216 of the candidates he backed won and 19 lost. Unfortunately, the 19 that lost were the kind of the important ones, and the 216 were not necessarily going to be lost anyway. Um, the, the man – so take us back to 2015. I did not want Donald Trump as the Republican nominee in 2016. He, he announced the candidacy in 2015. I did not want him. I wanted – Nor did I. Um, so – when he got the nomination, I said, okay, here's the nomination. I reluctantly voted for him in 2016. He won. In 2020, I did not want him to be the nominee, but he was the sitting president, and that's almost impossible not to have that as the nominee, and I reluctantly voted for him again, and he lost. I do not want him anywhere near the ticket in 2024. I don't want him sniping from the sidelines. I don't want him telling everybody how wonderful he is because – I read somebody today, and I don't know where the where the site was, but they were talking about somebody said I don't want Donald Trump around, and they were calling the guy writing it a rhino, which is a Republican in name only. I'm thinking, isn't that who Donald Trump is? He's a Republican in name only. It's not about the Republican Party. He he could care less about the Republican Party or anything that has to do with it. He cares about Donald Trump, 100 percent of the time, all the time. He takes shots at everybody because he wants to clear the field for him, and I think his. His narcissism causes all kinds of problems. He only backed people that would suck up to him for the most part. And that, that's not, I don't think that's a winning strategy. There are people out there who love Donald Trump. There are people out there who hate Donald Trump. Apparently, there's more people who hate them than love him. 
So why would we even consider him going forward? And I don't know how you fix that because it's no, an open well, election. That's, that's the point. I don't think it can be fixed. So a couple of comments about Trump, and, and you've touched on some of them. I admired Trump for how he governed. Mm-hmm. Okay, the policies that Trump promoted when he was president, number one, were largely consistent with conservative principles. Uh, and if you, if, if you take a look at the conditions of this country, in the two years that um, Joe Biden has governed from his basement, receiving his embalming fluid or whatever they do for him, um, there, there's no – I mean you would have to be – and of course there's many people who are like this – so hopelessly partisan to claim that somehow the country is in better shape under Joe Biden than Trump. The country is a disaster. Mm-hmm. The border is a disaster. The economy is a disaster. Historic inflation. You you have the the debacle in Afghanistan. You ha- I mean you have crime rampant in in major cities everywhere because of these prosecutors and the Democrats' commitment to defunding the police and basically not arresting thugs and criminals and allowing them back on the street. All of this, all of this exists. And this didn't exist. This did not exist when Donald Trump was president. Mm -hmm. So he deserves credit for that. Oh, and he deserves even more credit that he did this while being demonized and attacked in a way that is completely unprecedented in American history. And we've gone through the Russia collusion hoax and all that other. And and even up to, what, three months ago, Merrick Garland's DOJ raiding his home for – oh, by the way, Chad, have you noticed uh, that that's just dropped off the radar screen? It's interesting. remember, he had the nuclear launch codes in his basement because <laughs> that's how it works. Well, I think he – I think Merrick Garland said they, nothing would happen until after the election. They were just pursuing things and it would just be – because they wanted to see how the election right. turned out. The point is, is that Trump was, is right to claim that he was attacked, in my view, lawlessly mm-hmm. by basically every organized group and any government agency that is controlled essentially by people who hate him, and many of them who hate him, and they hate his supporters. So that can be true, but it can also be true that Donald Trump at this point is toxic. Yes. He is self-obsessed. Uh, I don't know if you saw today that he apparently sent out sent out some demented email to his supporters where he he just went after Ron DeSantis uh, in this hallucinatory way. And so, what is going to happen? Donald Trump now controls the fate of the Republican Party. The volatile, completely reckless, narcissistic, egomaniac Donald Trump. Because one of two things is going to happen. Either Donald Trump is – oh, he's going to announce that he's running for president. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And either he is going to get the nomination, which I think is a bad thing because I don't think he can win. Right. And I think the Democrats would celebrate if he's the nominee. But if he doesn't get the nomination, I have almost no hope that Donald Trump is capable of being a statesman who will say, you know what? I will graciously accept the choice of my party's voters, and I ardently support Ron DeSantis, who is going to be the only other viable candidate. Uh, And all of my supporters need to get behind him so that we can continue to forestall the zany Marxist wokerati that, you know, the Democratic Party has become. 
what do you what would you put the odds on of Donald Trump being capable of acting in that way? Well, it's a zero percent chance. I don't know what 0%. the odds are. But right. Yeah. And so no what's possible. going to happen is either Donald Trump is going to say, I was done wrong by the corrupt establishment. All of my uh, people that live in my feudal realm, you need to stay home. Yeah. Or he's going to do a Ross Perot and he's going to run as some sort of independent. Mm-hmm. And all that's going to do either way is guarantee that the Democrats win the presidency. Well, so he, in January 21, he he destroyed the chances of the Georgia Senate seats going to Republicans because of him. Uh, there was a 50-50 tie in the Senate. Yeah, he I think, basically told people not to vote. Yeah, I think the same thing is going to happen because there's going to be a runoff with Raphael Warnock and um, Herschel Walker. The same thing is going to happen. He's going to announce his candidacy, and so it's all the all the air gets sucked out of the room. And, and Walker. Now, I don't think Walker's a great candidate, first of all, but Raphael Warnock is a crook. That guy's a deadbeat crook. Well, he's a crook. He's a slumlord. Oh, he's horrible. A wife abuser. Yeah. And of, and of course, I can hear in the back of my head. What about Donald Trump? Well. I've never made the argument that Donald Trump no. is a man of character, but we always talk about this. Okay, so let's 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 say we accept that Raphael Warnock is a bad guy. Okay, but he's no worse than Donald Trump. Fine. What are his policies? See, that's the <laughs> issue. It's not just that he's a terrible guy. His policies, just like every other policy currently being promulgated by the Democratic Party are destructive and immoral and will wreck the country. Yes. So uh, I was just going to, a couple of things that Trump said about DeSantis today. He said he's, now DeSantis won by double digits over Charlie Crist. Double Almost digits. 20 points. Yeah. He, Trump says he's playing games with the media and be, being credited unfairly for leading Florida through the COVID pandemic with few, few restrictions. He said, DeSantis didn't have to close up his state, but he did in March of 2020. You mean when the federal government mandated that everybody close up in March of 2020? Right. But he didn't have to. Um, and it, Trump rescued his career when he endorsed him for the uh, seat in, or the governor's race in Florida in 2018. He owes everything to the Donald. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's untethered from reality. Oh, my goodness. So I haven't heard anything from Liz Cheney. She should be gloating right now, right? The, the Donald. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but I think so. I want to mention one other thing. Okay. So many of the individuals who are rabid never Trumpers, mm-hmm. um, who are conservatives, or sort of conservatives, uh, David. I'm talking about the David Frenches of the world, right. Jonah Goldberg, of course, Bill Crystal, who needs to be institutionalized. And that guy's gone completely off the deep end. But one of the things, John Podhoritz, um, one of the arguments that they made about Trump was that he was going to destroy the Republican Party. Now, yeah. what they meant by that, however, was that somehow Trump's um, his mendacity and his malevolence was was going to poison what was once a noble cause and turn it just into this cult of Trumpism. Now, here's the thing. There are certain people that are Trump supporters, just like there are many people on the left 
who, yeah, they're, they're bad people. Mm -hmm. Um, they are nihilists and pick whatever pejorative you want, but that's not really what happened to the Republican party in terms of its policies. The reason that Donald Trump is going to destroy the Republican party does not have to do with somehow his alleged, um, you know, satanic Hitler and Hitlerian influence yeah. making the party into a bunch of white supremacists. But what it, it, no, but what it means is that we can't disentangle ourselves from him mm-hmm. because if he decides that it's about him and he's going to basically wreck the playroom, there's literally nothing that can be done about it. And see, that's, <clears throat> that's where my concern is. We, so, I have no confidence in Kevin McCarthy. None. Zero confidence. Well, why should you? He's not shown himself to be a leader. I mean, if the Republicans take the House, he will more than likely be the Speaker of the House. But I have zero confidence in Kevin McCarthy to do anything other than screw it up, as he continues to do every time. And somebody was saying today about um, you want a bigger majority, so you some of these purple state Republicans can peel off and you can still still pass legislation. But my feeling is don't put it past the Republicans to fall for it again. Do this and we'll help you. But then they never actually get the help. They just fall for it. Every, it's Wiley Cody every time with the Republicans. They, they fall for the trap every single time. And that's not Donald Trump. That's the people we've elected who say we're not Donald Trump and we're better than that, but they aren't. I, I, to a man, I can't find anybody who has a clue in, in Congress who can make a decision that makes any sense, you know? Well, so to that point, I was reading, I can't remember where I was reading this article, but it was basically an article that was talking about the recriminations among Republicans because the midterms were very disappointing. Sure. And in the article, uh, it quoted somebody who was a House GOP aide, okay, so some anonymous person, right. but who's you know tied in with the GOP in the House. And, and my jaw kind of fell open, although it shouldn't have, because this shouldn't surprise me. But the statement that this individual made was essentially, well, it looks like we're going to win the House, but only by a few votes, okay? Yeah. And then this person said, and you know, now the real question for me is, well, what kind of mandate do we have? Now, how do you think any Democrat, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, go back, Harry Reid, how do you think they would answer that question? And the way they would answer it is, we will drive our enemies before us and hear the lamentations of their women. And my point is, you won I don't care if you won by one vote or a tsunami, you now hold political power. And this idea that you're going to now what? Well, it would be rude. It would be rude for us to govern consistent with our principles because we didn't really win by that much. So maybe we should work with it. But that's literally the attitude. The Democrats never. The Democrats assume they have a mandate when they've lost elections. Yes. You have to work but with us even though we Republicans lost. Republicans don't process this. No. When you win, you use, within the law, you use your political power to implement your agenda full stop. Particularly, given the people that you are confronting right now, 
who you know when they are in power will attempt to decimate you. Yes. But that just doesn't seem to penetrate. But And, and why is that? Because I was thinking about this today. So uh, Rona McDaniel, or Rona McDaniel, uh, said this was like the, the Republicans won the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know that I agree with that statement because... She said that about this election? She said about the midterms, we just won the Super Bowl. I'm like, mm, you sure? Because it doesn't Sounds feel like... like a little it. <laughs> uh, petitioning to keep her job. Maybe. But the, the question becomes, you know, should the, should the Republicans take the House? And we don't know that yet, that, what that's going to be. Do, should they impeach Biden? Because I'm of mixed feeling on this. Oh, no. Absolutely not. I think it's a political ploy, and it just backfires, and it just sets that precedent and just keeps going. Listen. But but to your point, the Democrats impeached Trump twice for spurious charges because they could, and they're not going to stop. So do you need to say, we're going to light this candle and you're going to have to deal with it, or do we say, no, we're better than that, but well, it doesn't seem I'm to affect... I'm not talking about... Because here's the thing. There's always political consideration. Sure. So I'm not talking about eye for an eye in terms of, okay, you took out our guys, so now we take, take out one of your guys. And again, from a political standpoint, for them to make Joe Biden into a martyr, because remember, the media is going to portray anything that they do as underhanded and outrageous and destroying democracy, et cetera. So no, you allow Joe Biden to continue stumbling into the hedges and falling off his bike and not knowing where he is on the stage uh, he will he will self-immolate all by himself. But what I am talking about is you don't cooperate. You don't give one vote yeah. for s- the latest monstrosity, the Build Back Better Venezuela plan, or whatever immigration reform, which is not immigration reform, it's just amnesty, or or some federal election reform that will allow the Democrats to control all elections at the federal level. What you make clear like Chuck Schumer makes clear and like Nancy Pelosi makes clear and ruthlessly enforces is you will not get a single vote from us. And listen, you're going to hear the howls from people like David Brooks saying, this is the worst. They're obstructing, they're grenading democracy. No, we firmly believe that the policies that are being pursued by the Democratic Party are destructive and we are not going to participate in helping them pass those policies. And guess what? The framers of our republic thought that gridlock was awesome. That's why we have checks and balances. So the whole notion of obstruction is is bogus. If I have a a political opponent who I believe is going to try to pass legislation or enact policies that are going to harm people, make families worse off, harm children... Uh, destroy our energy production such that we're going to have rolling blackouts and we have a 24-day supply of diesel fuel, why in the world would I try to compromise with that person? Well, and that's the thing. Republicans tend to want to feel like they're better people, so they they try to get along, and Democrats just run right over them every time. Just as an aside, Rona McDaniel is Mitt Romney's niece. (laughs) <laughs> she was born to rob me. So that might explain <clears throat> some of her comments. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. How do you reconcile that with somebody in a purple district who just won a seat in Congress saying, I can't take that back because they're going to lard up the bill and they're going to say, well, you didn't vote for 
children's uh, milk at, at birth. So sure. therefore, you know, you know how you you know how you reconcile that. Yeah. And we need to have more attitudes like this. And it would be the attitudes of the framers. If if I am only meant to serve this country for two years or six years, because when I stand on my convictions, I'm going to get voted out of office, then so be it. I am not looking at public service as some lifetime chance to accumulate tremendous wealth off the public fisc. And so if people would actually do that and say, hey, you know what? You want to accuse me of hating children and killing grandma? That's fine. Here are my principles. Here's how I will vote. And if the people that I represent decide that I should no longer be in this position, I will go back to my private life. Yeah, that's what it should be. But that's not what it is. You, and you know that. They, they get in once. They never want to leave because it's, it's a gravy train. Why would they want to leave? What's Joe Biden worth right now, Chad? $30 million? Well, I'll look that up, but I know he only makes $255,000, I believe. I mean, he's a... Uh, Let's see. Let's go through his um, his series. Didn't he claim that he was somehow raised uh, in Puerto Rico? So he's a he's a Puerto Rican from Scranton who <laughs> drove trucks and took care of corn pop. Um, I think he was also like Golda Meir's pool boy. Uh, what was the latest insanity? Oh, oh and the other thing about historically black uh, colleges. He went to right, historically black, black college, Delaware. And I mentioned this be- not to. Uh, to poke fun, but to point out sort of his willingness to lie about anything, his continued discussion of his son who died in Iraq, yeah. which is a flat out lie. Yeah. Not even close. So George, so he makes um, $400,000 a year as president. Uh, his net worth. He and Jill over the last two years earned somewhere between 15 and $20 million. So I'm just looking up what they That's say. That's on the books. They're saying nine million is his net worth. He's yeah, never. I've, I've seen numbers that are bigger than that, but that's fine. Roll with nine million. Well, um, how is that? I understand uh, how it works. Well, yeah, you know I understand how it is. Yeah, I know exactly how it works, and that's the problem. You come in at a certain level, you make this amount, and somehow you become a multi-million dollar. Uh, look at look at Obama, community active. Activist, organizer. Yeah, the Obamas are worth several hundred million dollars. Yeah. From what? What did, How did they get so much money? I'd like to know this. No, I'm saying you can invest, and that's fine. But <laughs> Yeah, it's through their investments. <laughs> they, they, were with, they were with Madoff, and they did really well for a long time. Well, and I think that's part of the problem. So they never, people would never want to leave, and they compromise their principles to right. keep in policy in power. If your goal is to never leave, then you're, pr- you don't have principles because that's Correct. becomes the only principle Correct. is do what I need to do to maintain my feather bed here. Yeah. And that's going to lead you down a very, very bad path. And guess what? I would say mm, 80% of the people that currently are in our Congress with the exception of you know a number of honorable people, that's exactly their attitude. Well, and that and that's where I I don't know how you reconcile this and you get what we should have, which is well it's term limits, but nobody wants term limits. They're not going to reconcile themselves to term limits because that would cut off the gravy train, and they don't want that. Um, we keep voting. See, in twenty twenty, I thought there can't be eighty one million people who think Joe Biden is sentient enough to run this country, and yet 
that's the number of votes. 2022. You can't possibly show me how there's enough people out there who think that they want to continue the policies of this idiot for the last two years. And yet, Joe Biden steps up to the podium yesterday, not changing a thing, going full steam ahead. But Oh, and now he's emboldened. He's going to run in 24. He said, watch well, me. Which actually, watch me. In some respects, the people that uh, are sort of the you know the strategists for the Democratic Party secretly hate this sure. election sure. because they want they wanted the ability to use a clubbing to move him off of the stage. Right. But that just leads them into the next hornet's nest, Chad, which is how are they going to push out Kamala? Because you know she they don't want her at the top of the team. No, but she well. <laughs> Gavin Newsom wants the ticket. Well, Gavin Newsom is there. If I was an evil Democratic strategist, I mean, Gavin Newsom is the guy that should be at the top of their ticket. Um, You know, he is the he's the perfect avatar for the modern Democratic Party. Mr. Tan, slicked hair, comes from a wealthy family, presents himself as someone who's reasonable with his white teeth, and yet he is as far left as you can get. His policies have continued the destruction of California, but he will be rolled out as yet another reasonable, caring moderate by the media, and because we have a voting class uh, that are just simply not informed, he, he can be presented Right, he can be propped up as a guy that's palatable, uh, when in fact he's just like all the rest of them. Because here's the other thing: there are no moderate Democrats. No, they I mean, don't I exist. Guess you could say Joe Manchin, but Manchin is a, a spineless weasel. But in terms of anyone who actually <laughs> is willing, is willing to confront the the leftists in the party and to challenge, tell me, Chad, what Democrat would be willing to stand up and say, you know what? I don't actually think there should be unrestricted abortion. There should be some limits. Tell me what person in their party is willing to say that publicly. Uh, maybe in a congressional district nobody cares about, but not not nationally. Yeah. And tell me what person is willing to say, hey, you know what? I don't really think it's a good idea uh, to have 12 and 13-year-old girls having double mastectomies and hysterectomies based on some ideology that says they are not the sex that they were born. Uh, that seems to me a little bit... Uh, radical. Tell me the person in any leadership position that's willing to say that. None. You, you none. Not, not on a national level, you'll hear none of those uh, statements made because that's not where the Democratic Party is today. But Re- it's not even not where they, they are. You are not allowed to deviate in no. any way from that orthodoxy. No. You're now, evil. There are tons. There are tons of Republicans mm-hmm. who are pro-choice. There are tons of Republicans who are bought in in whole or in part to the renewable revolution, right? Yeah. Those sorts of things, the Borg do not allow that kind of heresy. And that's one of the reasons that they're so effective at winning elections. So we're here. It's, I won't say it's the worst it's ever been because I haven't lived the entire entirety of this country. But I do feel as though we're going down that cliff and nobody seems to want to pull away. You're talking about the green energy. It's a disaster for everybody, and yet we keep hearing it's the only way to save the earth. You know, what's that line that, uh, on um, Powerline? What did uh, communists use before electricity or before candles? Electricity, you know? Yeah. Because it, it, the reality is we keep pushing this, pushing this agenda, and it makes no sense. 
Not one stinking bit. Does no, this make it's, sense? It's, it's not. It's not a. Um, it's not a policy. It's. Uh, it's a religion. It, it really well, is. Yeah. It's a faith-based uh, belief system. It's impervious. Impervious to facts. Yes. Impervious to, ironically, science. And I agree with you that if I had to pick the one policy that, if it does not change, will the most quickly destroy this country. Um, it is it is the current obsession with green energy, which is not only economically destructive, the the cascading effects of that are felt throughout yes. agriculture, every sector of the economy. And to your point, it is immoral. Yeah. And, you know, you never hear anyone on the left talk about that. Oh, they talk about how, how moral it is because we're saving the world. Sure. But they never are willing to talk about, well, how is it good that people don't have electricity for eight hours a day? How is it good that people who are struggling to pay their bills are now have tripled and quadrupled utility costs? How is that helping them? They well, don't care. They don't care. So – you talked about the green energy, and you brought it up earlier about 24 days of diesel. I don't think most people realize, they say, well, I don't drive a diesel truck, I don't drive a diesel vehicle, I don't care. Every <laughs> single thing you buy is transported in this country by, via diesel trucks. Every single thing. So when you say it doesn't affect me, you're either naive or a moron. It's one of the two. But you can't, with a straight face, uh, not understand that. So uh, uh, here's the point. I don't care how many batteries you strap to a vehicle. I don't care how green you think you are. You're not getting all that food stuff from California to Virginia before it rots using batteries. It's not going to happen. So you need a continuous source of energy to get those things from one place to the other. Say goodbye to fresh fruits and vegetables outside of season that you can't get locally. Say goodbye to your packages from China because they come over on, uh-oh, diesel ships, you morons that you think we can't do this. We'll, we'll, we'll just put batteries. We'll put solar panels. You can't be this stupid and call yourself an adult. And if you are, you are that stupid. It but Chad, will not okay, work. And they are, but where would they ever know any of this? See, this gets back to my well, point could be. about the information divide. They will never read an article about, let's see, how is energy produced? Let's have that primer. Yeah. They, don't, they don't think about those things. They don't think about, gee, how many products is oil actually in? Oh, <laughs> basically all of them. Yes, right? all they the stuff. They don't think about... Um, when the wind, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Well, what happens when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? Where do we get the power then? Is it from the giant mirror that beams down sunbeams from the space blimp? <laughs> like, no, guess where it's from? It's from fossil fuels, coal fired, mm -hmm. natural gas powered facilities that have to be ready to back it up. When guess what? The windmills are not turning for 12 hours at a time. Do they understand any of this? No. no. Do no. they understand that I think a fair estimate is right now somewhere around 10% of the world's energy is represented by renewables. But they're going to transition us 
in in a miracle of uh, wish casting within the next 10 years and all the evil fossil fuels are going to be gone. Now, you can't actually have a conversation, a rational, informed conversation with someone that believes these things. Well, and, and I think that's where I was just thinking about every time you look at uh, a science fiction movie that's set in the future, they never really talk about how. You see solar panels, you'll see something futuristic. Some We look at some Marvel movies and Iron Man has an arc reactor, a non-existent fictional thing that creates all this energy that you just, it happens. Right. I think people believe, well, we'll just, we'll figure it out. Science will figure it out. Science is somehow doesn't, you know, thermodynamics doesn't apply and, and transmission uh, reduction in distances doesn't really apply. You know, it, they're, they're estimating, I'm just looking at this solar chart. It's estimated to take approximately 22,000 square miles to power the United States of solar panels. You'd need 22,000 square miles just to power the United States, assuming you had enough sun consistently doing that. But, but again, even if you did that, you still have to have the backup. Yes, correct. You have to have the batteries to store it you, and, at night. And by the way, the backup doesn't just consist of individual power plants. It's all the infrastructure. Yep, yep. It, it would take... There's, they started saying in the United States there's anywhere from three and a half to five and a half hours of sunlight a day that can be usable for solar panels. That The whole point is there aren't enough batteries. Guess where those the minerals come from? Oh, China controls a lot of that right now. So good luck trying to get the minerals to, to create the batteries to store the energy that you don't have at night. So you're basically saying we're going back to the 19th century where you, at night you it's dark and you don't have anything else, and you can't run your car, and you can't charge your car because we don't have any energy to run anything. Good luck with that. This and, is and insane. Way, we're doing all of this. We're doing all of this because the IPCC says that if we continue the way we're going, by the year 2100, the Earth's temperature might rise <laughs> by one degree Celsius. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And, of course, what that means is they have no clue... And the reason we know they have no clue is because, number one, it's all pure projection and speculation, garbage in, garbage out. But number two, every one of the things that they've modeled for the last 20, 30, 40 years, every single one of their predictions, the Earth is over in 2004, the Earth's going to end in 2012, the 1,000-foot tidal wave is coming, have been wrong. Now, most people who have any respect for the scientific method would understand that when your hypothesis is repeatedly, actually, it only needs to be falsified once. Right. We'll give them some. We'll give them some rope. <laughs> when it's when it's falsified several dozen times, you have to reject that hypothesis and start over. Their solution is no. We need to demonize and silence all the people who are pointing out that our hypothesis is nonsense. Yeah. So it makes me think of a, um, there was a drug out in the uh, early 2000s. It was a combination of two different products that existed separately. They were combined. The study to, to see if it worked failed 16 times. On the 17th try, it magically worked. And this company was out there pushing this product. It's, it's revolutionary. It was a capsule and it had the two individual products that you could buy for pennies shoved in there and then they charged $200 a month for this combination capsule. What we found out years later was they made up the data. They went to China and they made up the data 
to get them over the finish line to get approval because 16 times it didn't work. But we somehow believe the 17th time it was magically better, to your point. It again, doesn't work. Why didn't the regulatory agency, after the first time yeah. it didn't work, say, tough luck, <laughs> Not happening. come back when you have a new product? Yeah. It, 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 does it work that, you know, well, let us try it again. Um, oh, it still didn't work? No, unless you present us with a new product, your one failure is the only one you get. <laughs> exactly. It's over. We're not coming back for this. But that's that's what we're doing with solar or wind or water or whatever. I, this is this is the part. I said 22,000 miles. If you located all the solar panels in Palm Springs, California, you'd need 6.5 billion solar panels. If you moved them to Seattle, you'd need 11 billion solar panels. Just put that, put that noodle around for a while. Even if you could do that, and there aren't 11 billion solar panels to put up, how would that, how would that even work? What would you do? This is the part they have no idea. that nobody ever really explains. It's kind of like... That's the advantage of magical thinking. All well, yeah. these boring details. Science will figure it out. Science will figure it out. That's all we need to worry about. Well, here's the other point about science will figure it out. I'm all for science mm-hmm. as opposed to government figuring it out. So, for instance, do you remember when Barack Obama, who is a uh, polymath on all subjects, was was <laughs> waxing uh, about the the era of peak oil? Yeah. Do you remember when he kept telling everyone, we can't keep drilling ourselves out of this because we're at peak oil? Well, guess what? We've demonstrated we weren't at peak oil because fracking has revolutionized our ability to produce fossil fuels to the point that if we actually availed ourselves of our natural resources, we were and would be the leading exporter for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay, so what that demonstrates is, yes, we don't know the genius of innovation and technology. We don't know what that will unlock. And perhaps, Chad, perhaps... Perhaps AOC will sit down at a Starbucks one day and scroll out on a napkin uh, the way to make solar and wind energy work by using, I don't know, silos filled with kelp that will shoot to the moon. Whatever. Here's the point. If and when that happens, I am more than willing to adopt that new technology. But you can't mandate it into existence and demand that reality conform to your hopes and dreams because you're a good person. <laughs> well, we're not going to solve this tonight, but I do want to touch on some football before we get out. Um, my Steelers stink. They are stinky, stinky. Well, they have, they have a rookie quarterback. Um, that's just the way it is. There's going to be growing pains. Yeah. I think Pickett actually has a chance to be good. I mean, they have yeah. a lot of other problems on their team as well. I don't know what happened to Najee Harris. Maybe he's still injured. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, their line isn't very good. No. So they, they've got a lot of problems. They, they've got they've got more problems than Kenny Pickett being the the only one. That's unfortunate. I, they just I think that the coaching is substandard. I think the players are substandard. I think Najee Harris he doesn't seem to hit holes. He, he looks scared. To me, he, he runs tentative. I mean, he runs tentative. Let's say that. I don't know if he's scared. He, he runs tentative. And he he kind of wants to dance around, just like hit the hole and go for it. It's not going to be there very well, long. He might say, "Is yeah, where's the hole that you want me?" To well, I'm not saying there is a hole, but um, my Tennessee Volunteers took a took a shellacking by the Bulldogs from Georgia. 
they still have a shot based on the CFP rankings to possibly make the playoffs. So right but now it's what? Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. Correct. TCU is number four, I believe, or three. Um, so right now, if it was played today, it would be Ohio State versus TCU and uh, I'm sorry, it would be Georgia versus TCU and Ohio State versus Michigan, which we know is not going to be the case because Michigan and Ohio State play at the end of the month. So one of those two is not going to be there more than likely. Um, I I don't so know. But here's an interesting question. Sure. So what happens if Ohio State and Michigan, they're going to both go into that game unbeaten, and let's say they, they play an overtime nail-biter, yeah. and one of them wins by a, a field goal? Mm-hmm. I think there's still a possibility sure. that they both make the playoffs. Sure. I think if it's a competitive, close game, you may say, I want to see that again. Now, both of them won't make the the Big Ten Championship. The, the winner will make the Big Ten Championship, and the other team will not. Um, but there's there's a lot of conventional wisdom saying Georgia could lose the SEC Championship and still make the playoffs, which I think is there's something wrong with that because they lost the SEC Championship last year and made the playoffs and won the national title. But should they have? Should they have been even given the opportunity to do that when they didn't yeah, win I their conference? So because was, that was their only loss, right? They lost Correct. to Alabama. Correct. Yeah, I don't think I don't see how you can keep an unbeaten team who loses the championship to the other consensus best team in the country out of the playoff. Okay, but TCU could go undefeated, win the Big Twelve. They could be out. Well, if TCU if TCU goes unbeaten and wins the Big Twelve, they have to be in. So, okay. in other words, in other words, then you don't get the option of keeping both Ohio State and Michigan. In my scenario, that one more, one of the whoever loses has to go. Sorry, okay, that, and that, that's probably what's going to happen. Either one, they're not going. I don't think the Big Ten is as good as the SEC, and I don't think the SEC is as good as it's been. But I think it's better yeah. than the rest of the conference. Oregon one loss. They're they're in the mix there somewhere, and I think Oregon got shellacked by got worse shellacking by Georgia in the opening game. Yeah, I mean Georgia Georgia's going to win. Well, I I think so. Um, so I was watching that game with a Georgia fan, a diehard Georgia fan. We we're sitting there watching it. I was thinking, okay, maybe this is Tennessee's year. Maybe they can beat Alabama and Georgia in the same year. And I watched the first half, and I said, okay, they're going to have to make adjustments for the second half. Never made an adjustment didn't adjust that's coaching they didn't adjust and i mean i guess it's coaching but here's the thing and if you read any of the quotes after the game i don't know which tennessee player said it it may have been may have been hooker or one of their receivers and they said georgia is by far the most physical team we've played this year they're twice as physical as alabama and the point is is that georgia is just physically dominant yeah well they played man-to-man and Tennessee couldn't get open. And my other contention was they never put Hooker in the shotgun. They always had him under center. He takes a three-step drop. He was too close to the line, and that line could not hold Georgia off. He never had a chance to scan the field, even if there was an opening, to well, really— Remember, when you put him in the shotgun, so you're buying him a little bit more time, but now yeah. you've also basically told the defense, we are now limiting the offensive plays that we're running. We don't. We can't run play action. Yeah. Right? So so now it allows them to be even more aggressive. Sure. Not only on the outside, but also with their with their blitzing. Yeah. There's 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 downsides to it, but they not one play was in shotgun. So you're saying okay, he 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 was collapsed. The pocket collapsed every time he took the snap. Every single time. 
and he'd get some off and he wouldn't get some others. It was frustrating. Michigan won. I, I, I'm looking for that matchup there at the end of the month, and I have no confidence that two years in a row Michigan will beat Ohio State, but we shall see. And I don't think Ohio State's that good. But I don't think I don't think Ohio State's that good this year. I think they're good, they're but not, they're not quite as dominant as they usually are. They they have they have the they most, have talent. They and Georgia have the most talent. Sure, and, and Alabama. Alabama always is up there, but Alabama has some issues this year. Uh, I mean, again, they've they've got two losses, which in in the Saban era is a disaster. It's an epic disaster. Yeah, you're ne- they're going to finish ten and two. Yeah, well, that's what I said about Penn State. I mean, Penn State for some reason was competitive with Ohio State for three and a half quarters. And they're going to finish ten and two, but at the end of the end of the day, you're not competing. You're not you're not winning a Big Ten championship. You're not competing for a national title. You're paying a coach as an elite coach. And he's not an elite coach, or at least hasn't demonstrated he's an elite coach. So why are you paying him that well, way? Well, I think the issue at Penn State, there's a clear. Or first of all, let's go back a couple of years. Until basically a year ago. Jim Harbaugh had been a Correct. horrendous underperformer. Correct. I agree. Uh, because Michigan 100%. was still – Michigan and Ohio State right now recruit far better than Penn State. Penn State yes. recruits well, but Michigan and Ohio State are always among the top five, six, seven teams in the country. Penn sure. State is not. They sure. might be 15th. They might be 12th. So, so Michigan also has more talent than Penn State. Ohio State has the most talent of any team in the country year over year other than Alabama mm-hmm. and probably Georgia now. Mm-hmm. So Penn State right now is a team that there is a clear line of demarcation between now the Michigan and Ohio State are now Ohio State's number one, sure. Michigan's number two. Yeah. But they're much closer. And then Penn State is several steps down as kind of the number three team. And until they are on par recruiting with those teams, they shouldn't yeah. expect to beat them. Well, and that's the thing. I, I, but you're, you're paying a coach who's known as a recruiter, who recruits well. You're paying him as though he's – Every year he's going to compete for a national championship, and I don't see that. I don't see that and happening. I don't think those are the – you are paying him like that, but you're also paying him as your brand representative. Sure. And I don't think there's any expectation within the Penn State Athletic Department. By the way, that's not the same thing as the Penn State fan base. <laughs> True. Uh, that Penn State <laughs> is going to be an annual contender yeah. for the national championship. I think James Franklin, the expectation is – if we're a top 10 to 15 team every year and maybe every fourth year we, we put together a really good campaign and we make the playoff, that's the expectation. Well, and that may be the reality. And I, I, I would say you're 100% on about Harbaugh until last season. He was mediocre at best. And, you know, I wouldn't say he's elite right now either. I mean, he, he did well last year and they're doing okay this year. We'll see what the last game of the season looks like. But... I, I don't the fascinating f- thing with Michigan is even though they've been successful, they're being successful as a smash mouth yeah. dominant defense running team. Harbaugh still has never found a quarterback I know. I know. that is even close to being, let's say, you know, a Heisman worthy dominant guy where they can air the ball out. And how many years has he been there? Uh nine, I believe. Yeah, Eight it's or kind nine. of incredible. Yeah. That they just can't seem. This is the position that he he's the QB whisperer. Well, and right? I think he's that, the guy. That's the thing that just fascinates. Well, same thing with Penn State. They, they don't they don't tend to have great quarterbacks. Michigan doesn't tend to have great quarterbacks. Michigan. Who's, who's the best quarterback that Penn State has ever had? It's either Todd Blackledge or Curry Collins. I would say 
beloved Todd Blackledge, Kerry Collins probably was more talented, in my opinion. I actually kind of agree with you. Um, if people don't remember how good Kerry Collins oh, yeah. was, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Even as a pro, if you look at his overall career statistics, mm-hmm. that guy had that guy had major talent. Yeah. Uh, that 1994 Penn State team, they were a good team. I will still say that is the best college offense that I have ever seen. I would agree with uh, they they could they could score on anybody. They got kind of tripped up there in one of the games and it kept them from uh Well, they didn't make, get tripped up. Well, they, they got, won. They got royally screwed over. They won, the but they didn't win huge. People felt bad at that point in time for Tom Osborne, right, right. who had not won a national championship and so they leapfrogged Nebraska in the poll. Yeah. But if you remember that Penn State team had Kerry Collins Kajana Carter in the backfield. Mm-hmm. They had Kyle Brady at tight end. Mm-hmm. And they had Bobby Ingram and Freddie Scott at wide receiver. And they had a guy, if you remember, named Mike Archie, yeah. who was also like a multi-purpose guy. Yep. It, they beat Ohio State that year 63 to 14. Yep. And Ohio State had one of the best defenses in the country. And that game could have been 80 to 14. That team was unreal. Why are you making me remember John Cooper so well? John Cooper was the coach at Ohio State, and I loved that because Michigan would just pound on John Cooper. Yes, I did, loved it. Did he ever beat Michigan? If he did, it was once. He he barely, he he could win all those other games and he couldn't beat Michigan, and I loved it. When they fired him, well, I was sad. Year, you've gotten the boomerang because uh, you know Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State other exactly. than last year. Exactly. I, I just it could be an exciting college football uh, pros. I, I'd be honest, I haven't watched a lot of pro football. I watch the Steelers when they're on, and I say to myself, why? Because I'm not watching good football. It's bad football, and it's usually bad matchups. But college football has been more exciting this year for me. How about you? Um, I think so. I, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily more exciting. I think the issue right now with college football, which is why we are inevitably heading to an expanded playoff, yeah, is that everybody knows essentially who's going to be in the playoff. There's about, yeah. okay, so TCU this year is – is not your typical candidate, but everyone essentially knows that Georgia, Ohio state, Alabama, Clemson, those are the teams that are going to be vying for that playoff every year. Yeah. And that, that makes it not as exciting. I agree. And I think that's why there's a tier. There's a tier system in, uh, sec and the big 10. You, you spelled it out, Ohio state, Michigan, and then the other teams and sec is Georgia, Alabama, uh, bubble up, Somebody else maybe challenges for I mean, third. You know, look, LSU is intermittently. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they have as much talent year over year as almost any team in the country. Yeah. So you could have LSU. Yeah. And and I think the the Pac twelve, Pac ten, what Pac twelve I guess is uh, is no longer a real viable um, well, conference it's at the Oregon, moment. It's yeah. maybe USC. Well, USC and UCLA uh, going to the Big Ten. So yeah, exactly. So you I mean Which, you, how ridiculous is that? Well, I, I heard somebody said Gonzaga was being wooed by the Big East. I'm like, yeah. uh, why? <laughs> well, I mean, listen, geography doesn't mean anything anymore, so sure. you might as well just poach who you can. Yeah, well, then you got to change the name of your conference because it makes no sense if it's geographically located 3,000 miles away. I, I don't quite understand that, but that's whatever. So we'll see what happens with this election, but I'm not confident about what's going to go transpire we'll try to uh rejoin each other more frequently you know sooner than january (laughs) we'll do our best anything else you need to add nope i think i'm good all right thank you for joining us i'm chad i'm tony good night
Energy Production.